Hello, and welcome to the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast, a show for people who want to take their personal training businesses and fitness coaching skills to the next level. Team Alloy has been in the personal training business since 1992 and share their insights from working with businesses and brands around the world. Listen in for secrets and tips on running a successful fitness business from personal training, marketing, staff management, scaling your business, and everything in between. If you are interested in having your own personal training business, our systems are well-developed, and we are focusing on very discrete segments which we think are the secrets to success. Now, let's get started with our host. Hey, Rick. What's going on, man? Hello, Matt. How are you today? I'm good. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Are you in here all the time just waiting for me to sit down? I sit here. I don't actually leave. Leave the lights on. Leave the lights on. Do your work. (laughs) Writing programs. I don't know. It's an icebox in here, man. Can't get out of here quick It is a meat locker in here. It keeps us from falling asleep, which (laughs) is a good thing. But it is so cold in this conference room. You guys can see it's a, you know how cold it gets in Atlanta. It's got to be in the fifties at least here. It's like 25 this week, man. It was awful. All of our buddies up north are like, yeah, whatever, dude. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, one of our coaches from Michigan. He laughs. I'm like, I got beanie, two jackets. He's walking around in shorts. Like, uh, <laughs> hey, man, whatever. Like, there's some hearty individuals that come from that area oh, yeah. of the oh, world. Yeah. So, All right. Um, you ready? I'm so ready for today. So great topic. Something we talk about often. Something that's talked about by, honestly, it's everywhere. It's all over um, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. But we're going to talk about high-intensity training, um, kind of the pros, cons, and how it fits in somebody's program. Yeah. So I guess the acronym would be HIT, right? Yeah. So high intensity interval training. If anyone's listening, that's not in the industry. That just means, you know, getting hot and sweaty. It's the way I look at it. And you're right. It's super popular right now. And I think, you know, the reason that you and I discuss this all the time is when you, it's something that's been popular for maybe uh, it's been around forever. Let's, let's start with that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like um, CrossFit invented barbell complexes, right? I mean, Olympic lifters have been doing that kind of stuff for warmups, whatever, forever. So let's not get too crazy about where it came from. It's just really been popular since the explosion of the studio model, mm-hmm. you know, which has really been probably eight years or yeah. so um, of the real popular studio models. And because of that, you know, you, you introduced heart rate, mm-hmm. right? And that, that sort of drove that as well. Some brands are actually, their brand promise is heart rate. And so when you start tying effort level during a workout to the number of calories burned, and that's the end goal, is like what happens just in this 45 minutes or this hour or this 30 minutes or whatever, you run the risk of then doing, you know, you're telling your customer that the most important thing is how many calories they burn and how high they can get their heart rate in the next 30 minutes. Right. And then you might make claims like, Hey, this not only is going to burn calories, it's also going to build muscle. Yep. Right. Which is not true if you know the science behind muscle building. So I think today I just want to have a conversation with you, Matt, you write programs for thousands of clubs worldwide around our thoughts on hit overall, like especially for the personal training population that we work with, is it good? Is it bad? What are the good things about it? What are the things that we'd like to see different about it? And we just take it from there. What are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, we'll start with um, just kind of where it really all came from. When we talked about earlier, just kind of where the notion of I'm going to do high intensity training, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to get my heart rate up and I'm going to burn a thousand calories during right. this workout. I mean, where'd that even start? I think it just started with, uh, you know, there's a term epoch, which basically just means in layman's terms, how many calories that you're going to burn as a result of an elevated metabolism after a really hard effort exercise. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so a lot of people, a lot of the early adopters of this that were doing it as a brand were leaning on this epoch, like how many calories do you burn? Now, the science, eventually enough people came out and said, all right, look, it's probably a bit overstated, right? Like you're not burning calories for another 48 hours. Like you can cherry pick a study that might show elevated blood lactate levels 48 hours later. Mm -hmm. And that might be a good one to use. You know, everybody cherry picks studies to support what they want. That might be a good thing to use if you're that brand. But overall, I think it was a bit overstated. And so when you look at some of the real studies that went into, you know, what are the results of like hard, shorter efforts, yep. intervals, if mm -hmm. you will, right? You know, one of the most famous ones was done by Dr. Tabata, which is a Japanese scientist. And, you know, I think we used to laugh about everything that is mildly metabolic now is called Tabata, yeah. right? Which is funny. It's like, I remember uh, seeing an advertisement for a company. This was probably five years ago and it was a boot camp company. It was Tabata like Tabata boot camp coming soon. I was like, wow. So Dr. Tabata's got a boot camp company. Now this is amazing, right? And I'm being facetious, of course, but Dr. Tabata did one study and the study was basically to see him again. I'm probably butchering this, but I'm, I'm giving it to you in a rough summary. You know, what would be the benefits of a short, intense exercise, right? For a limited amount of time versus a longer bout of exercise at a lower intensity. So let's just say 30 minutes on the treadmill at medium intensity versus in his case, it was four minutes at 20 seconds on followed by 10 seconds rest, eight rounds, which gives you four minutes at a max, max effort. And what could he measure around the cardiovascular benefits of one versus the other? Right. And as it turns out, they were very similar. And so it was like, wow, really? So if I went harder, you know, I could burn a lot of calories or I would get a little bit of an epoch or a little bit of a bump in calorie burn. Mm -hmm. And I would get the same cardiovascular benefits that I would if I went at a medium pace, you know, for 30 minutes. Right. It's like, great. And so everyone took that and then just ran with it. And then pretty soon, if you did, you know, a bunch of burpees, you were doing Tabata, which yeah. is not just accurate. The, uh, exercise magic pill that's uh you just do this a couple days a week, go as hard as you can, kill yourself, and you're going to burn a million calories. Well, let's start with that, like the hard as you can, right? I don't know if you've ever done this, Matt, but I have attempted to get on the um, air bike, right? And there's many manufacturers, the salt bike, the airdyne bike, one with the arms on it with a big fan. Think about it that way. It's a great, great mm -hmm. tool. We use it a lot because any level can get on it, right? And you get on there, and if you've ever done true Tabata, so you go all out for 20 seconds, and take a 10 second break and then go all out for 20 seconds. It is nearly impossible at an all out max effort to make eight rounds of that. Did you make it? No. I think I mean, I made, I, I've done it once. I did like three rounds and never done it again. Yeah. It's uh, it will literally make you physically sick. Yeah. And the thing about that is that's the level of effort that was done in Dr. Tabata's study. So when you take that, right. And as hard as that is to do, Mm-hmm. And then you say, I'm going to build a franchise or I'm going to build a business model around this. And we're going to keep our heart rate up the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. There is no possible way that you can take studies like that and overlay that science over a 30 to 45 minute class and expect to get the same results because there's no way the the real key. Yes, it was the duration was shorter, but it was the effort that right. caused the physiological response that we were looking for. Mm -hmm. You can't put out that much effort in 30 to 45 minutes. What it does do is it puts you in a little bit of what we might describe as no man's land, right? So your heart rate is high enough, mm -hmm. right? Where you're burning a lot of sugars and you're really out of breath and, and you feel horrible, you know, in some ways, but it's not high enough to produce the result that we're talking about. 
Right. Right. But it's high enough to just get you hot and sweaty. Right. It's the only way that you can survive it. But to take that mechanism and claim that, you know, these classes produce epoch, right, is a bit of an overstatement, honestly. So the way that we do it and a positive way to go about this is at the end of a strength training workout is to do exactly what Dr. Tabata demonstrated, which is take three to five minutes at whatever level that you're at, try to put in as hard an effort as you can in some kind of a metabolic finisher. The air bike's a great example Mm -hmm. of how to do that. You could change up the rest, work to rest ratios, whatever that is. Do that. That's going right. to give you the cardiovascular benefits that you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. And you're doing it at the tail end of a strength training workout. We have a bit of an elevated heart rate anyway, mm-hmm. right? So you're a bit more sensitive to it. So it's a good time to do it. I just don't love it in a longer class format because I've seen it as a club owner for 30 years and I've seen it in other brands. People power way down in effort level right. just to survive it. Absolutely. Just survive. Yep. I mean, I'm wrong. I've made lots of those workouts. I've, I've done them. I mean, it, it's hundred percent. You're right. I mean, you're just surviving and the, it feeds that fills that need for people. They want to get hot and sweaty and they maybe want to be sore, which we both know doesn't actually produce anything. Maybe the results that you're looking for. Right. Right. Well, and being sore also, you, you really, in those settings, it's difficult to lift a heavy enough load to actually produce DOMS or some kind of muscle soreness. Right. Mm-hmm. It just is. And so you might be sore from volume, but it's not the same. And so I don't know, man, I don't love it. But again, I don't want to be a naysayer. If somebody loves to go to classes and likes to do metabolic based training, absolutely, it's better than sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. But what I don't want to happen is people to look at these current class based options and say, wow, you know, they flip open Instagram, they see a person who's in amazing shape. They're like, I want to look like this person. And maybe that person is selling protein shakes, you know, through their page and they're doing, they're demonstrating a metabolic circuit or something because it's interesting and it's the workout of the day for them or whatever that is. I can tell you a hundred percent that most of the people that look that way don't get that way by doing those type of workouts. They just don't. And so most of them are lifting heavy, you know, they're doing basic, like whether, whether you want to call it powerlifting, weight training, you know, bodybuilding, mm-hmm. those type of principles, right. To yep. change their body shape they're they're getting strong. They're lifting relatively heavy for them, whatever that means, right? They're using progressive overload. They're using good movement quality, right? They're under control. There's time under tension. There's all these things that you don't get necessarily when you're doing it in a, in this kind of high, but not high enough heart rate, right? Right. Where fatigue is going to drive bad form, really light loads and all the other things that go with it. So I love the metabolic finisher. I just like it at the end of a true strength training workout, not done as a full on self-contained workout for 45 minutes. So, you know, a lot of those, they're promised and they kind of go over the same market fat loss, right? It's a big one. You know, tell me why it's better to do more resistance training and your adaptation to all that than hit. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I didn't, I didn't even think about that or bringing that up today. So, well, there's a couple of ways to look at it. So let's talk about adaptation in your body, right? So your body's going to adapt to whatever strain or strenuous or activities or kind of whatever you know, stimulus that you give your body, it's going to respond to that accordingly. So let's talk about it through the lens of say running as an example. Like if I want to run a 10 K and I haven't run much before and I go out and I run a few miles the first time, just my first ever run, right. Mm -hmm. It's going to burn a lot of calories. And the reason is because I'm completely inefficient at doing it, right. It's going to be really, really hard for me. Well, I want to be more efficient because more efficiency means that I can conserve energy and I can cover more mileage. And now I can do more miles, right? And 
to a certain degree, that's good. Like if my goal is to run a 10 K yep. not to look like, you know, JLo or whoever you're trying to look like, you know, whatever your favorite model is, I'm not trying to look like that, but I'm just trying to run a 10 K that works fine because my adaptation to cardio is to get more efficient at doing cardio, even if it's in a class-based format, right? Well, good. So now I can cover more mileage or whatever. But if you look at it through the lens of fat loss, it's the enemy of fat loss. Efficiency is the 100% enemy of fat loss. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, as I'm getting more efficient, there's only one way for me to continue to burn more calories during my workout. That's either I've got to run faster in the same amount of time, which will, you know, maybe burn some more calories because I'll cover more distance, right? Or I have to run longer. And both of those things, as we know, and again, we're just using running as an example, you know, what 80% of recreational runners have an injury at any given time. So that's probably a bad example because you just, your body can't do it. Mm -hmm. you know, your structure just breaks down. You, you're unable to do that. And unfortunately in our society, that's what a lot of folks do. You know, they're like, Hey, right. I want to get in shape. They don't know any better. I'm going to start running. It's like, man, I can think of a lot of things that are way less egregiously bad on your body mm -hmm. and easier on your joints than running to get you in shape. Plus if your goal is fat loss, which is what 99% of people start running for that are gen, gen pop, right? right? As they get more efficient and better at running, they're actually burning way less calories. <laughs> So it's working against their goal of fat loss, right? Now let's compare that to then true strength training. So the adaptation to strength training is now and forever will be increased lean tissue. And I want everyone to hear this that's not a fitness person. It doesn't mean large muscles. Like a lot of that has to do with hormone profile, genetics, and everything else. So you know, we get this a lot with our female population. Like, well, I don't want to lift too heavy. I mean, our clients are good, but you hear it. Yep. I don't want to get too big, so I don't want to lift heavy, right? So if I lift too heavy, I'm going to get big. And that's just not going to happen at all. Mm -hmm. And anyone that you're looking to, that if you're looking for, again, we're talking about fat loss, someone who might have a, the, you know, an image that you like or a body that you're chasing, right? They're doing it with strength training and sensible eating. Yep. And so if you look at this efficiency, which is that's your body's job is to respond to whatever stimulus you're giving it. If the stimulus you're giving it is high heart rate, cardio-based training all the time, it's going to get more efficient at doing that type of training, which will make those classes more enjoyable. But the only way to get better is to either double down and do two classes in a row <laughs> or to try to go a little harder in the classes. Right. But eventually, it's somewhat short-lived. You're going to see an immediate, if you're not doing anything, anything that you add will produce some positive results unless yeah. you get injured, period. It's sort of like, you know, it's like the argument around dieting. Like if you have a... Uh, like a crap diet and you become a vegetarian, you're going to see some results because you're going from the typical shitty American diet to lots of fruits, <laughs> vegetables, and nuts, right? <laughs> it may not be that it's vegetarian. It's just a much cleaner diet, right? right? Same thing if you go keto, same thing if you go, you know, paleo, same thing yeah. if you go South Beach. It's like, it's the same thing. It's like, you're just cleaning up your diet, right? So same thing here. If you're just moving a lot more and you've never done it before, there's going to be some positive benefits. But for the sake of fat loss, which is a longer journey than a few months, right? Sure. You need to do something where the adaptation to that activity actually is going to help you in reducing your body fat over time, right? Sure. And bringing your weight down. And strength training certainly does that. You know, it's probably a bit overstated how many more calories that lean tissue builds, but it does help, yep. right? And as we know, it's... You know, there's a lot of cliche sayings around not out training a bad diet, but it is true. Mm -hmm. And so what also happens is not only are you becoming more efficient if you do a lot of high end cardio running or class based, you know, hit, eat, those eat type more. of things. Yes. What happens is think about the energy system that you're tapping into. You know, you're, you're really tapping into like a stored glycogen, right? 
And a lot of this just for lack of better terms, blood sugars, right? If you think about that. So imagine going into a hard hit workout. What does that do to your overall blood sugar levels? Well, it's going to make you really, really hungry. And so it's going to be hard then to know how to refuel that workout at the right level while staying in a mild calorie deficit, which is no matter what kind of diet you're on, that's what you need to be doing for fat loss, by Mm -hmm. the way, right? And so you just have to be really careful if your goal is fat loss, not to look at the model that's used in an advertisement for a hit-based workout, which they can, by the way, that model's probably doing conventional strength training and eating well, Right. right? Not doing those workouts. Yeah. Well, it's a very thin line. I mean, there's been many times I've had to have conversations with, say, people that do small groups are lifting heavy. They want to lose more weight. So like, well, I need to do more. I need to start running. I need to do this. And I was like, well, you know, that is maybe we can supplement something in there, but it's probably not the best thing for you. Cause like you just said, you're going to want to eat more. You're already stressing your body enough. You start doing a boot camp on the side, not eating appropriately, maybe not have, you know, have very high stress. I mean, things are not going to last very long. And you just said it, fat loss is a journey. It is not just snap your fingers like we want it to be. So, I mean, talk about, um, type of, you know, we train all kinds of clients here, right? I mean, we have all walks of life, injuries, things like that. I mean, how does that fit into even hit? I mean, yeah, that's a million dollar question, right? And listen, from a business standpoint, which the podcast is about, there is a really high churn rate in a hit based Mm-hmm. business there is so there's a lot of reasons why it's like oh well if they're not getting enough attention like if they're in a group of 24 you know maybe they don't feel like they're kept after you know and everybody's working on the customer experience but what if the reason that people leave in three to seven months is because that's the window of opportunity to see any results from those kind of workouts right yeah. we've never talked about that what if the science shows that after three to seven months of doing a workout and the body's adaptation process gets more efficient at doing said workout right. and you're not seeing any more results. You're going to see some results doing anything if you're not active, right? We talked about that. What if those results run out in three to seven months? There's right. no way to shift. There's no way to pivot. There's no way to add more weight. There's no way to change sets and reps. Well, just People can't physically do it. They may not even move well enough or may have injuries holding them back. Right. Even well, I'll tell you what, let me tell a couple stories just around this story on my man story on, and then we'll get to injury. So <laughs> two, one is, um, I mean, we know Mark Wahlberg, right? Everybody knows who he is, mm-hmm. Marky Mark. And he's in great shape. So the guy's 50 years old or 49 or whatever. He's my age. And he's almost in as good shape as me. I mean, the guy's a ball. A ball. Yeah. <laughs> he's compared himself to Marky Mark. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm about the shit. We're the same age, but, but he's in really good shape and he's famously in good shape. He's always posting on his Instagram page, things like that. Well, what's funny is he's purchased into um, a hit-based franchise, and he's always advertising that he does these workouts from this hit-based franchise, which I, it can't hurt their their marketing efforts, right? When you got mm-hmm. a guy who looks as good as him. Well, the funny thing is, you know, through our channels and strength conditioning world, like we know his strength coach, and he's getting up early, as you guys know. He famously gets up at like three in the morning and does two hours of working out. Well, he ain't doing hit training; he's doing basic strength training, some functional stuff. And he's eating well, right? But he's doing the type of workout that is the exact opposite of the investment that he has mm-hmm. that he might be promoting. So don't be tricked by that, right? So that's an example of maybe the celebrity that we look at. Or if you're looking at someone, you know, again, on Instagram or you're looking at, I mentioned JLo earlier. It's like they've had her workout. She does really heavy, like lifting mm-hmm. workouts. And she looks amazing at 50 years old, right? So those are sort of the internet examples, if you will, you know, or the online examples, the Fitzbo. If you look at our empirical evidence here, and like you said, we've 
been here for 30 years. We specialize in fat loss. We've trained a million and one people. I can think of a handful of stories now, and it's been a while since I've been out on the floor of people that worked out here. They worked out three days a week and that's all they did. You know, say that they were decent shape when they got here Mm -hmm. and they wanted to tighten up. It was that last 10 pounds, right? I want to lose this body fat. And that's tough. You know, that's that last little bit. Come in, start weight training three days a week, right? The, what we would prescribe. They start cleaning up their eating habits, eating a little bit better. They move around more in their everyday life, which is what we'd recommend. So they're Mm -hmm. walking more. They're not sitting as much, things like that. And they get in phenomenal shape. And we use the end body, right? Mm -hmm. So we can measure lean tissue, which goes up. We measure, you know, lean body mass again, lean tissue goes up. And then we measure body fat percentage, which goes down. So we know, we know what the metrics are and what's happening inside when these people work out. Well, like you said, it's addictive, right? It's like, man, I'm in really good shape. So I'm going to add some more. So one particular client I can think of added three days a week of spin class to her program. Now, A, she's was uh, like moved around a lot, a little bit high anxiety, right? Real fast motor all the time, kind of nervous, right? Mm-hmm. Funny, and admittedly so in a funny way, she's great, but just always on the move, go, 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 right? So I can imagine that her cortisol levels are pretty high just from her personality and sort of the way that she intakes information and the yeah. way that she goes about life is like pretty frantic. She's awesome. She gets a lot done, but it's pretty frantic. So imagine then adding to that three days a week of strength training, which her adaptation would be lean tissue. And she's looking great. She feels amazing. Her back doesn't hurt. Now she starts going to high intensity spin class three days a week on top of that. Thanks. She immediately, so she goes for a month. So she's doing three days of strength training and three days of high end spin. And then she gets sick, right? She's got kids. So she gets sick. She gets strep throat. She's down and out. She comes back. She gets back on it, right? She does it for a couple more months. She starts getting sore, like her back starts to hurt again. Because again, she's spending three hours a week hunched over on a, in a bent over posture, which we've tried to work her out of, right? Through yeah. strength training. And then lo and behold, she's not losing any weight and she's super frustrated. So we come back in, we do another in body and guess what? She's lost muscle and she's actually added a little bit of body fat, right? And she's like, man, I'm doing twice as much as I used to and I'm in worse shape and I hurt all the time. And at least she was intuitively smart enough to be like, screw this. You know, I'm not doing this. So she quits over-exercising, especially at that high level, goes back to the original prescription that we gave her and gets back in great shape, loses the body fat. Her appetite comes down so she can eat normally, right? Mm-hmm. Healthy, starts moving around more and she's in great shape. So just a couple of examples of like real world applications of what we're talking about. Right. I'm not hating on hit training. I'm not trying to align this podcast to be like, Oh, our franchise is the best because we believe in this. I'm really using real empirical evidence and science. You know, this isn't something that's just, you know, an opinion. It's like, this is what we see right. on a daily basis. All right. Well, if somebody came in, how would you general pop client? How would you fit in kind of hit training into their schedule say it's wide open yeah i mean i would this is our prescription every time right i'd love to see you do strength training two to three days a week two days is enough three days is ideal if it fits in your schedule right every time you come in to do strength training at whatever level that you're at we'll do a metabolic finisher at the end so there's a couple things that happen one you're gonna get your heart rate up high you're gonna get that cardiovascular benefit that you would get from maybe a medium level you know jog on the treadmill if you will for longer but you're gonna get in four minutes but i'm gonna ask you to put some effort out that's how we would do it. That's mm-hmm. how we're going to get that hit training. Right? Yep. And it's at the end of strength training. It's going to be safe. It's going to be at their level. They're not going to be running. They're not going to be doing anything like that. That's, that's bad for them. Right? Very, very manageable. Very manageable. And you can go at your own pace. So it could destroy me and it could destroy someone who's 70 years old has never worked out before. Mm-hmm. It could kill you as well. You know, just, you can go at your own pace if that you're, makes sense. You're Marky Mark. So uh. that's true. I might do some funky bunch dancing or something. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah. It wouldn't hurt me. I mean, come on. But <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, that's the way that we would do it. You know, if somebody comes in and they say, Hey, I'm a runner and I do the Peachtree road race every year, which is a 10 K and I want to train for that. It's like, great. You have to take that into consideration. So it's all right, we're going to do two days of weights and we're going to do this. And if they said, Hey, my goal is really to lose a little bunch of weight. It's like, well, if you clean up your eating habits, great. But if you're going to forgo strength training days for running days, so you're basically, you're trading fat loss goals for just running goals. And that's mm-hmm. fine, but just make sure that your goals are in alignment with what you're willing to do from a program standpoint. Right. So that's the way that we would handle it. And when you, a minute ago, you asked about injury. So mm-hmm. I think this would be a good chance maybe to pivot towards that. So if you take someone and you don't have any way to measure movement at all on mm-hmm. the front end, and you then put them into a class format, and then you put load, even if it's light and volume on top of a movement discrepancy. Like if somebody has a terrible squat pattern and they can't do it without a butt wink and then some lumbar spine movement, and then you put them in a class format and you ask them to squat a million times, right? Or to mm-hmm. start jumping, like jump squatting and things like that. They may not be hurt when they walk in, but they're going to end up there. And we see a lot of that in our business. Traditionally speaking, we get a lot of people that have been injured overuse injuries in other brands doing just too much of the same thing. None of those brands did any type of assessment on the front end to find out who this person was. And the reason that they don't, and I understand it, is that they can't really do anything with that information anyway. Right. If you've got 30, 20, 25, 24 people in a group and they're all doing the same thing and there's no chance to regress it or change it or take into account that you can't go overhead because you don't move well or you've had a rotator cuff surgery, there's no point in even measuring it because mm-hmm. it, it almost put makes you it makes you more liable if you can't do anything right. on the back end of it, right? Tell me I'm jacked up and then you have me do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Well, you know, as an example, I've tested this. I've gone to these different brands. I go in with my wife who's in great shape. She's had a double hip replacement. So it's like, oh, by the way, like this, she has to mention it. Oh, by the way, before we start this class, I've had double hip replacement. And it, they just look like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and hers is just genetic defect, right? She's like a German shepherd. They all have hip dysplasia in her family, but, <laughs> but she like, you know, it's not like she's not fit. You've seen her. I mean, the girl's like amazing, oh, right? Yeah. She still squats, you know, 185 deep and does all these things, but she can't run on a treadmill mm-hmm. or she can't do like a, a lot of jumping. Right. So what do they do? They don't know. They just panic. And it's almost like, Hey, you're not for us. And I get that. I'm not trying to say that you have to be for everyone, but I think there's a lot of people in those brands doing those workouts that don't need to be in there. And they just show up and I know they probably wouldn't want to hear it that they don't belong. I don't mean it that way, but they probably would be better served doing something else. So yeah, man, that from an injury standpoint, I don't like it again. You're putting volume and you're putting, you know, load, even if it's light and more volume than anything on faulty movement patterns. Put it on a clock. I mean, form's going to go bad. Well, how many times have we done that? You start a workout and we're trying to thoughtfully do HIIT training. And so, Mm -hmm. okay, there's these different levels, right? And I know there's people listening who are like, oh, you know, my groups are cool because I know everybody in there and I can, you know, modify everything. But if you're running a really good business and you've got a lot of influx of people coming in all the time, it's really hard to do that at, at scale, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really hard to scale if you're going to own three or four locations and, you know, not every coach is going to know every single person in there. And if you had 10 people that were new that showed up one day, how do you, how do you handle that? You don't, right? So it's like probably unfair for a trainer that works out of his garage that has 10 clients that knows them all. To say like, well, I run groups. It's like, well, yeah, but you only have 10 clients. Like, come on, bro. If you had 550 in your gym, try remembering everybody's ailments that <laughs> good way. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with that, right? So, you know, we've done it and we've tried to regress it and do everything. And what we found is it's just, there's also the, you have to take into account basic human nature. So it's monkey see, monkey do. Where if I'm peeking ahead and the guy ahead of me is about my age or whatever, or I just kind of want to, don't want him to show me up. 
if he's doing like heavy kettlebell swings and I've been instructed to do a kettlebell deadlift with limited range because I have a bad back, I'm probably not going to do that because right. I don't want that guy to beat me. Right. So right. I'm going to get to that station and I'm just going to do what I want to do mm-hmm. for the sake of saving face or whatever that is. And I'm going to end up injured. Right. And so it's just human nature and we've seen it a million times. I mean, s- things that are simple, we've tried bracelets and levels and, and different ways to say, Hey, look, when you get to this area, you know, if you have, you've had two rotator cuff surgeries and you're thoracic spine mobility is not great. So we don't like you going overhead. So when you get to this station, if there's an overhead press there, I want you to do this nine times out of 10. They don't listen to any of that. They want to do what everyone else in the class is doing. They don't want to stand out. Right. And they do the overhead press. And so you could say, well, why do overhead press? Well, it's like, cause a lot of people can do it. And it's a good exercise if you can do it. Right. So it all swings back to personal training. So I would say when you put people in a class format and you put the clock on and it becomes metabolic and then people get out of breath and then they're just trying to keep up with the group, mm-hmm. their behavior just comes off the rails. It for really sure. does. And I mean, it would be for me too. I've done plenty of group, you know, concepts and tried them and done shit that I shouldn't have done. Well, Cause nobody, I will look around. I'm like, I don't want this dude to show me up. Nobody's like, showing Mark Wahlberg up. Oh well, no, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'll do it. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is going to hurt tomorrow, but you do it anyway. And I'm that dumb and I know better. And I know better than anyone else. So Probably not now, but you know, back you know, ten years ago or so, I'd probably have done that a million times. Yeah, so definitely, hit training has its place, whether it's your sport or you know, helps your sports. Say boxing. Look, if you're a cyclist, if you're doing boxing, you're an MMA fighter. You have to do it. Yeah. It's going to help you survive your sport. Mm-hmm. But if you are someone who's looking for fat loss and general fitness, and you just want to feel better, and like, let's face it, it's important to a lot of people. You want to look better. Right. That is not the way to go about it. Hit training is the opposite of right. what you need to be doing. It's going to put you at a higher risk of injury. Your body's going to become more efficient at it, which is only good if you need it for a sport or an activity. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're going to burn way less calories doing it, which means it's not going to help your fat loss goal, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say you need it, but you only need it in small bites and you need it the way that we do it at the end of a strength training workout. That's the best way to do it for fat loss. Awesome. Nothing else on hit? I got nothing. Listen, and uh, I just want to reiterate it. I don't want this to come across super negative. We have a lot of passion around it because I think we're in the industry and we're kind of up against this current trend. It's hot now to measure how many calories you burn during a workout. And you get really excited about that. And you go in, you just want to like work as hard as you can. And there's something about the psychology. I don't know if it's just in the U S or just humans in general, where we just want to go in and just punish ourselves. Right. And you can certainly do that in the weight room and work really hard and make yourself work that hard. But if you don't want to focus that hard and you just want to go to a class setting and just have your ass kicked and get hot and sweaty, that seems to be a popular option, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to come back on here every single time and will do what I think is the right thing and call bullshit. Right. So again, I don't want this to sound hyper negative and certainly not defensive of what we do. This is a science that we see, right? I don't care what our brand is or where we're headed. This would be my opinion if you and I were sitting down at lunch and we mm-hmm. weren't talking about fitness at all and you brought it up or you were my cousin or something, I'd say the same thing. Don't do it. And that's just based on the scientific evidence and then what we've seen empirically, you know, over 30 years. Absolutely. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast. If you have any questions for the host or are interested in learning more about running a successful personal training business of your own, please reach out and say hello. Connect with us at www.alloypersonaltraining.com and sign up for our free newsletter to receive additional resources.